I look back at some of the things and, and, and I realize now that, um, you know, I had some resistance and pushback. Um, I was either too um, bullheaded to see it or I just said, well, you know what, I'm just going to keep moving in this direction. Uh, but as I look over my career, there were obvious there were obvious times that other people were uncomfortable that I was in the room. But I've always looked at it as that's your problem. That is not my problem that you're uncomfortable that I'm in the room or that uh, the fact that I made it to the room. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years' experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. My name is Dale. I'm the host. Thank you for joining me. I love and appreciate the support you've shown me and this show. If uh, if you want to continue supporting the show, uh, please like and subscribe to the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. It, uh, it really helps me tremendously with those infamous algorithms. So make sure you also click and that uh, and subscribe to that bell icon so you can get notified of any new content that drops. And check out the Black and Blue Podcast social media pages. You can find us everywhere at Black and Blue US. So today's guest is the chief of police of the Dallas College Police Department in that great state of Texas. Everyone, please give a warm round of applause to Chief Loretta Hill. Morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you this morning? Excellent. I am excellent. Thank you for for coming on to the show. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. All right. So I mentioned you are the chief of police of the Dallas College Police Department. I know you just went through a name change. It was a much longer name. (laughs) Yes. Uh, yes. And that's in, in, in Texas. How long have you been uh, the chief over there? Uh, four and a half years, almost five years. All right. All right. And, uh, and are, are you originally from, from the Dallas area? I am. So, um, uh, raised in this area. So from the Dallas Fort Worth area, pretty much been in Texas the majority of my life with the exception of a two year stint that I left to go to be a deputy chief in Miami Beach Police Department. So. Oh, yes. We got to definitely talk about <laughs> Miami Beach. <laughs> yep. I'm sure there's some some differences uh between Texas and and Florida that we'll, we could talk yes. about. All right. Uh, yep. So what was the bulk of your career? Uh, so Where the was bulk that? of my career I, I spent here at Arlington um Police Department. So Arlington um uh creates the you know one of the, the third largest city in the Metroplex next to Dallas and Fort Worth. So mm-hmm. I spent uh, just over twenty years uh with Arlington PD. Uh so okay. that was the majority of my service. All right. And then you got tapped to go down to Miami Beach and then I, I, had some fun in the sun. 
I did. It was a great <laughs> opportunity. And, um, you know, now that I look back on it, um, it was some sacrifice to go because I didn't know anybody down there. I knew people, colleagues from, you know, classes and um, schools that I, I attended, but I didn't have any family there. Um, so moving to uh, South Florida, as they call it, South Beach, um, you know, I was immediately met with open arms uh, from the law enforcement community down there. And, um, you know, looking back at it, it was some sacrifices I made, but I wouldn't change it because it shaped who I am and who I've become and what I've been able to do since uh, my time in Miami Beach. So and it's beautiful. Um, yeah, I'm so envious. I have pictures, you know, that pop back up, you know, in your Facebook feed and your Twitter uh-huh. feed from two or three years ago. And I'm sitting on the beach at Christmas time. And um, so wow. it was a wonderful experience being down there. And um, it is so culturally and ethnically diverse mm-hmm. um, place. It is, it's just a wonderful place to learn and grow and understand um, others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've been to uh, Florida, never down that far though. So that, that's on the bucket list. That's on the bucket list. I'll be, I'll be down there. Trust, you trust. Those beaches are beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful down there. Yeah. And uh, so you talked about being on the beach at Christmas time. Uh, you can't do much of that in, in Dallas. So uh, right now you guys had that, uh, that major cold snap. How did that affect you? Yeah, you know, it, it, um, that's one of those once in a lifetime, uh, events that occurred. And I believe the last time we had that much snow and this kind of cold air was probably 10 or 11 years ago. So, of course, we're not built for it. Um, as you can tell, it was, uh, 800, you know, eight, eight million people without water because the pipes were frozen. And when some of them came back online, they burst. So we had eight million people across the state without water. We had people for days without power, um, and the 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 grid system failed us <laughs> pretty much, and um, so because we're not built for it, so it, we it was significant. Um, you know, like in my uh, my my area of at work, we had several buildings that had to go offline because of water damage and when the pipes burst because of the age of the buildings. And so there's a lot of damage and a lot of cleanup that continues uh, because of those uh, that snap of uh, uh, storms. And, and as I was saying earlier, we went from a negative two temperature on a Wednesday. And by that Sunday, it was 75 degrees. And so, wow. um, but Texas weather is like that. You stay around long enough, it will change. It will change on you, huh? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, a lot of people, did a lot of people have generators? Did you have a generator to to get you through that or? No. um, You know, we were looking at getting one now. Yeah, Uh, you are now. Yeah. We'll probably be price gouging uh, because yeah. we're about to be looking to get one. Yep. Uh, it's just not something, you know, big, you know, institutions and hospitals and, you know, um, senior living homes, you know, people that have to have power all the time. You know, they've had generators, but usually personal generators, uh, not that not that well utilized here, but I right. think they will. So we lost power yep. for um, not as long as a lot of people. And. 
And when our power went off, it only stayed off 30, 45 minute increments, and then it would come back on for four to six hours. So we were in a rolling blackout where some people were completely blacked out for for days. So um, we're going to invest because it's probably going to happen again, probably in another 10 years. We'll have a significant freeze. Yeah. 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 And how did it affect the the job at the uh, PD? Um, you know, probably similar to a lot of uh, departments, um, we basically became the first responders to damage, uh, being able to alert our facilities people, hey, we got this damage. Our campuses were closed um, uh, during that time because of the, the, the weather. One thing in Texas, as soon as we get any ice on the road, our people can't drive in that because we're not used to it. We yeah. close everything. That um, sounds like us out here in Cali with, with rain. You get two drops on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. People from the Northeast just laugh at us. I mean, literally we shut down everything. So there was nothing, um, nothing open, but of course the cops being on campus were the first to report some of the damage, but we had issues of them, uh, you know, officers trying to get to work. Uh, there was a lot of accidents on the roadway and we have, we have, um, sand trucks for ice, but we don't have snow plows. So when the snow accumulated on the roadways, our um, facilities, our, our um, uh, department, Texas, TexDOT, which is the Texas Department of Transportation, we just don't have snow plows. So it was an it was an effort um, to get snow plows for them to to get the major highways uh, plowed because they just we just don't have them. We have ice de-icing machines and sand trucks to help with that, but. We did not have an answer for uh, the accumulation of snow that was on the roadways. So we had the typical things of officers having um, a difficult time to get to work, um, having to hold people over to cover it. But we really turned into first responders to uh, facilities issues. So um, but throughout it all, the officers were, you know, were safe and um, um, helped work through the issues at the campuses. And we worked with officers that really couldn't get to work because, you know, highways and things were closed down. So uh, it affected us. But the fact that we were closed down, it helped. Right. Right. So uh, for people out here that really don't know, um, what are the kind of the duties of the uh, Dallas, Texas College Police Department? Yeah. So uh, campus law enforcement, um, as I've learned about it, you know, because I spent the majority of my career in municipal law enforcement, um, it's different. Um, You have the same types of calls. You just don't have the frequency. So can you have an assault? Can you have a robbery? Can you have vehicle burglaries, thefts, uh, sexual assaults? You can have all of those. You just don't have them with the frequency that you mm-hmm. have in, you know, a larger or midsize uh, municipal agency. You know, I actually have 160 something officers, which is larger than most. You know, we're considered a midsize police department than a lot of uh, municipal agencies. Um, so the difference is the, the officers that are there are really focused on true uh, community policing and problem solving. You know, our mission, um, the police department's mission at a college and university is, dri- is, is different, is driven by different um, outcomes and metrics than uh, municipal, such as, um, you know, student success is the whole mission of, of colleges and university. We're there to help the students be successful, to achieve their educational goals, uh, to achieve um, 
um, the goals they've set for themselves in life as far as employment and their education. And so that's what we're there for. So our mission is not to it's not reducing crime because crime is not the biggest issue on my campus um, It's food insecurity. Right. <laughs> so yeah. how do we assist with food insecurity? Uh, so we host when I say we our campus hosts a lot of uh, food bank drive throughs. We're covid testing sites. We're vaccination sites. So our officers really get an opportunity to partner with the community. Not only yeah, on absolutely. campus, but off campus. And so in order to be able to do that, you have to have that community-minded skill set that um, usually are found when your municipals, they're found in your school resource officers, your crime prevention officers, your community service officers. Well, mm-hmm. everybody in the college system has to be that community crime prevention, community person, school resource, because 27% of our population at the college campuses now um, at our specifically and more uh, community colleges is um, high school, early college high school. So 25% of our okay. population are high school students uh, starting in the ninth grade. Yeah. Um, so we have to cater to that, to somebody that's 15 or 16, to the vet that's coming back to get an education that's, you know, 60, 70 years old. Mm-hmm. And because of that, student success is the most important. Officers really have to be community minded and community oriented and they have to stay sharp on, you know, laws and um, policy and procedures uh, because we don't do it as frequent. You could you could tend to not um, be as sharp in certain areas. Um, so we have to always continue to train on that. So what you need to be the types of call you answer are really, you know, you be solving somebody's problem. Their their yeah. battery is down in the parking lot. Well, mm-hmm. if they don't get that car started, they can't get to work. They can't get to work. They can't feed their kids. So you take the time to solve that problem for you, and you don't have to move on to the next call like municipal. You can truly stay there and help them work through that issue and that problem. So that's what I enjoy about it. Uh, I didn't know that before I got into it, um, but it's a really um, – great group of officers and the skill set that you need is to be um, a problem solver, be a problem solver and uh, definitely be uh, community focused. Yeah. All right. All right. I know you mentioned you you have over a hundred sworn there. How how large is that system that uh, how large is the campus that you need so many officers? Well, we uh, actually have uh, about 80,000 students throughout. Oh, wow. I okay. apologize for that noise. Um, <laughs> that's my son in the background. Um, hey, son. <laughs> yes, he's in the background, so I'm going to uh, uh, get them to, to shut the door again. Yeah. So um, he found mama in the back room, and now he's like, why did she go in the room and shut the door? So there's Now we know why, 000, yeah. Yes, there's 80,000 students in the system and about seven to 8,000 employees in our system. Oh, wow. So the we are all over the county. So, um, you know, Dallas County is the largest county, um, you know, one of the largest counties in obviously in the state of Texas next to um, Harris County. And so because of that, we own a lot of property in Dallas County. And it's my responsibility to make sure that all of those properties are safe and secure. So we're the second largest property owner in the county, the, the, wow. the college system. Yes. Yeah. So that's why I need so many officers, because 
We have seven main campuses, and with all the satellites and the additional places we have, we have like 27 to 28 separate facilities that we have to police and secure. Crazy. That's crazy. All yeah. right. Yeah. They say everything is bigger in Texas. So, <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. There you go. And it's a two year, uh, two year college system, community college system. It is. Um, we did uh, get awarded this last, uh, this previous legislature session to offer a couple of baccalaureate degrees. Uh, okay. I believe the first one is in early childhood education. So uh, it's primarily to your college that you transfer into, obviously, your four universities. But uh, I believe starting in the fall, we'll be offering our first uh, baccalaureate degree um, in early childhood education or child development, something in that area. All right. Congratulations. Moving on up. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of education do you have yourself? Um, well, I have um, I got a bachelor's degree from um, University of Texas at Arlington. Um, OK. And then I pursued and I have a master's degree from uh, Texas Christian University. So that's where I stopped. <laughs> that's where you stopped. Yeah. Uh, not, so, not planning on going any further, huh? Uh, no. Uh, family life happened, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. You got a little one out here. Yeah. Changed. I got two. Yes. I got you two got two little ones. ones. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. A 12-year-old and an 8-year-old, so. Okay, um, yeah. That wasn't a 12-year-old. That, that We heard the 8-year-old, I'm sure. <laughs> you heard the 8-year-old. Yeah. And the 8-year-old is, um, he is, he's he's a ball of fire, I'll just say Yeah, <laughs> sounds like it. Sounds like it. Well, yeah. <laughs> congratulations on, on all that, on the family and, and the schooling as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh so we had a lot of great stuff happen in, in 2020, a lot of uh, uh-huh. unusual bad stuff happened in 2020 as well. You know, one of the things being COVID, how did that affect uh, your, your, your campus and your, your department? You know, it, uh, 2020, uh, you know, it, it, we will remember it forever. I mean, it's like, it was life changing, you know, and half a million people, you know, um, that have have died as a result of COVID is just um, it's just unthinkable that that could happen in with modern day medicine and uh, sophistication. But that tells you um, that there's still a lot to learn about, you know, the diseases and and viruses that we we just don't know about. Um, you know, we had officers. I have been fortunate not to lose any officers to COVID. But we have had officers that lost family members uh, to COVID. And so it's been a very difficult time for for us as an organization to just to work through um, how do we continue to support our officers by at the same time maintaining the safety and the security of the campuses, but being um, compassionate to make sure that we're showing them that we care and that we give them the time that they need in order to take care of themselves, take care of their families and their affairs. Um, We have several officers that have multiple generations that live in their households. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in Texas, there's a lot of places um, that uh, a lot of communities that we have multiple generations that live in households. Um, uh, which made it difficult because the officers had to leave every day and go out into an environment and then come back sometimes yes. with parents and grandparents there. So um, it was a real balance. I think we did well um, to make sure that we balance um, giving those officers the time that they needed to 
putting all the appropriate safety protocols in place. Look, if I caught you without a mask, I didn't play. <laughs> I mean, I uh-huh. was serious. Uh, it was, you know, I was like, if do if I need to write you up for you to stay safe, then I will. Um, then you will. You know, so the ma- I was the, the mask Nazi, the hand and sanitizer is like, do you need more? We'll buy you more. So we gave them everything they needed to stay safe. Despite all of that, we still had people that, caught COVID and we just made yeah. sure that we took care of them. Um, our chancellor um, makes the decisions whether we're open or closed. And we pretty much followed whatever um, the city of Dallas or the county of Dallas was doing. So there have been long extensions of times that our campuses to students have been closed literally since March of last year. Um, yeah. And there are students and faculty that are on campus, but it's those face classes that have to meet face to face. Like you can't do nursing, uh, you know, you can't mm-hmm. do respiratory therapy yeah. if you're not face to face, but you can do English online. So right. those classes that could go to move to online, they have been online since the pandemic started. Um, but we are moving to bring more and more people back to campus. Um, we're supposed to completely open back up, um, when I say completely, to a full-time faculty and staff to support the students, even though the students are still online. But the majority of our locations will be back open on April 5th. So, okay. um, so our chancellor has, um, out of abundance of caution, um, really been um, um, on the forefront of making decisions to protect the health and safety and welfare of, you know, the employees and the students there. But of course we're the cops. We're there all the time anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, either way. 24 seven, 24 seven. So whatever yeah. decisions are made, we're still there 24 hours, seven days yeah. a week. So, Is the rest of the state and the city opening up as far as restaurants and shopping and all that as well? Yeah, it's it's it, it's been opening up. There's some our, 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 the the government, the governor put some um, some um, percentages in place. Like if we get to this percentage and the cases yeah. drop below this or the hospitalizations, then you can open up. You can open up this. Um, so um, they have those type of things in place. And because of that, some of those rates have dropped. Uh, there are several restaurants and things like that, occupancy can go up a little bit. So you're starting to see it open back up a little bit. Um, um, You know, and people are getting vaccinated. Uh, But we had a week in there where things were closed and people were not getting vaccinated. And so we may have we may see some of that surge or see some uh, upward tick in those numbers now that people are back out and about. So um, so we're seeing it start to open back up, but we're, you know, we're still going to have those safety precautions in place at work um, mm-hmm. for our officers to make sure that they stay healthy. And despite everything looks like it's getting ready to open back up. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, one of the things that uh, one of the good things that happened in 2020 and culminated in uh, the beginning of this year was the uh, election of our president and new vice president, Kamala Harris. Yeah, yeah. How how did uh, how did that uh, affect you when when uh, you saw the nomination and and the uh, and the inauguration there? I was I was over the moon. I was um, I was uh, a fat cat happy. You know, we got all kind of sayings in Texas, um, and you know, I can remember the night uh, the first when uh, uh, Barack Obama, when President Obama was. Um, 
uh, nominated, and but then when he won, I can remember watching his inauguration speech, and you know, I cried like a baby <laughs> because I did not think <laughs> I would see it in my lifetime mm-hmm. to see a black man um, be the president of the United States, and then to come along. <laughs> Then we got uh, Kamala Harris, a black yeah. female, a multi, you know, multi-ethnic uh, female, multiracial female to be our vice president. And mm-hmm. so I was just in awe. And is you, you know, girls everywhere can see that it is possible. Yeah, um, it is absolutely possible. So I am so excited to see um, a woman as the number two in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, is is you know is is history. You're right. We made some history throughout 2020 and 2021 so far, and um, I'm excited to see what she will do in her position and how that will inspire the next generation of not just politicians, of just women, knowing that we can we can do it. We can enter those rooms. We can make a difference in that room. We can compete. We can be at the table. We can be a voice at the table. And we can be the head of the table yes. in those business rooms. So it's, it's exciting. And in police departments. So, uh, you know, you That's said, right. you know, showing, showing young girls out there that they can do it. You are a role model as well. Let's talk a, bit, a little bit about uh, your career as a, as a female uh, in law enforcement. How did that, uh, you know, in your early days, well, first, let's talk about, you know, what, what brought you to the uh, profession in the first place. Was it something you had always wanted to do? How, how did this come about? You know what? I did not grow up wanting to be a cop. Um, it's just that's not something that people did where I came from. I'm from, uh, you know, Oak Cliff. Uh, people around this area know, you know, what Oak Cliff is. It's one of those where you're branded by it because it's just your neighborhood, as we call it, our hood, and you're proud to be from it and to be a product of it. And um, so it's just not something that I thought about much um, going through school. And then when I got to college, I met a few officers. I started attending some job fairs. I majored in criminal justice. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in the criminal justice field, but I knew I wanted to give back in some way and serve. And so after I met, you know, a couple of officers and in my neighborhood and then throughout uh, college, I said, you know what? I don't see very many female cops and I don't see very many black cops. I said, you know what? Maybe if they saw more people that look like them, maybe, you know, we could have better relationships in the communities that we had. So, I mean, I got in it for a lot of people, you know, service and to serve the community that I was from so people would have a trust because it was already mistrust of police back in the 90s you know, mm-hmm. when I finished school, even before that. So this is it's not a new phenomenon that there's this distrust has been there since the civil rights movement. Uh, it's right. gotten better, obviously, but there's there's this trust of, of law enforcement entity as a whole. So I thought that I could, you know, me, my ambitious uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed self thinking, oh, I can make a difference. I can make a change. I can, you know, I can do all these things by uh, going into this um, profession. So that's how I started. Um, just wanted to be part of a community that I thought was underrepresented in the police departments that I saw in my neighborhood. Yeah. Has that kind of changed over the years? Have you seen more females 
uh, entering the profession? You know, I have, um, and I'm sure there's data somewhere that shows that it has increased, but as it has increased, there are different challenges that you see once you get into the profession that mm -hmm. women face that men don't face. And yeah. so we as police leaders, we have to address those just like, you know, private sector and people have to address those issues as they come up in policing. Um, the culture of policing um, has changed, but I think it's been slower to change than some of private sector and corporate America when it comes to um, um, employee friendly policy, <laughs> when it comes right. to work life balance, you know. Um, so we have been slower to change because we say we're so different. And I would argue that no, we're not. Uh, you know, doctors work 24 hours, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. We're not the only profession that tackles that uh, issue of working 24-7. So I think as we continue to, if we want to continue to see those numbers increase with women in policing, which I think is a good thing for policing, especially now, uh, we're going to have to make sure that we have in, um, employment and personnel policies that um, allow women to stay in the career that they have chosen and not excludes them or makes them choose between their career and their family. And yeah. we lose a lot of women because they have to make the choice. Um, but so in order to keep those numbers up and keep building and retention, we're going to have to make sure that we have uh, policies that are reflective of progressive and um, women in the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned earlier that, that there are a number of, issues associated with being female in the profession. Uh, did you experience any of those issues? Uh, you know, childcare, I'm sure is one, you know, having to deal with uh, sick children along the way and having to deal with that. Um, any issues with, with supervisors along the way with, with you being a, a female, anything like that? Off color comments? Well, you know, oh, yes. And, you know, at the time, um, you know, I had a, I look back at some of the things and, and, and I realize now that, um, you know, I had some resistance and pushback. Um, I was either too um, bullheaded to see it or I just said, well, you know what, I'm just going to keep moving in this direction. Uh, but as I look over my career, there were obvious there were obvious times that other people were uncomfortable that I was in the room. But I've always looked at it as that's your problem. That is not my problem that you're uncomfortable that I'm in the room or that uh, the fact that I made it to the room, uh, that there has to be some type of reason why I made it to the room. You know, I'm black, I'm female. And at that time, not anymore. I was young and, you know, questioning my credentials, um, you know, um, and I have to constantly prove that I belong in the room with people that I had credentials greater credentials than they had. Okay. And, but I always felt like I had to prove myself. So, but being a, when I became um, a mom, um, one of the first challenges was, you know, I, I breast, I was a breastfeed mom. Okay. Well, there was nowhere for me to, I got, a, you know, my uh, gear bag in one hand and my breast pump <laughs> and bag uh -huh. in the other hand. Uh -huh. It was like, that's when I realized, I said, there's no place for women to go. You know, where are they supposed to go? At that time, I had an office because I had promoted already. 
So I had an office to go to. I said, what about those women that don't don't have a place to go to? So lactation stations, right. uh, you know, locker rooms that have areas for that. I mean, there were other departments that already had dealt with that. But those were things um, that I know other women before me probably dealt with, but they never said anything about it. I said, well, I'm going to say something about it. Mm-hmm. I can't get pulled off a call while I'm trying to uh, take care of my motherly duties. I'm going to have to be I'm going to have to be out of service for a little while. Right. And then I'm going to have to have a place to store it until I can get home. So one of the things that I did as a supervisor, if we had women in that situation and they were close to they were in a district where they lived or an adjacent district, I, I allowed them to go home to do that. So, nice. but you have to just, you know, can, you can imagine a supervisor saying, oh, that officer can't leave the shift. That's not right. fair to the other officers. Well, no, what's not fair is the fact yeah. that she's trying to do her job and she's trying to make sure that um, she's taking care of herself. I said, so you yes. shouldn't punish her because she decided that she wanted to become a mom. And some people didn't look at it that way. I said, no, you are isolated and you are treating her differently because of the choice she made. Um that her male counterparts don't have to worry about because if they have kids, their wife is taking care of them or their wife Mm -hmm. is at home. Well, these women are at work every day. So those type of things, when I talk about family-friendly policies and departments uh, realizing if they want to the retention of women, they're going to have to look at things like that. So those are some things that I went through. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I would tell, especially young women today, that you just don't have to be part of the in crowd. You don't have to do things just to fit in. If you don't play poker and drink on Friday nights, um, (laughs) you don't have to play poker and drink on Friday nights. But if you want to, that's fine. But you don't have to do those things just to try to fit in. Be who you are. Be authentic. Be your authentic self. And if people don't appreciate that there is somebody in that job or outside of the job, which you should always keep friends outside of the job. Always. Um, that's that's vital to survival, to your emotional survival. Mm-hmm. That is vital to have people that are not cops around you uh, to keep you balanced. Um, but don't change who you are just to fit into a uh, male dominant um, culture um, and lose who you are along the way. And women, we bring a unique role to law enforcement, we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't um, uh, simulate or morph to something that we're not just to fit in. We need right. to be our authentic selves when we're there because we bring something different to the role. Yeah. Yeah. A much needed difference to the role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, so too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, half the population is female. So, you know, it only stands the reason that we have half of a uh, police department should be female as well. Uh, what about uh, ethnic diversities and uh, sexual orientation uh, diversities within police departments, uh, specifically with your department now? Are you uh, recruiting or do you have uh, an, an actual diverse force underneath you? You know, um, it came in campus policing. I have the most diverse workforce I have ever seen in any police department. And All right. It absolutely comes natural, which was the, a shock to me. I had so much trouble getting Hispanic males. Uh, talk about that 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 um, that's particular race group and ethnic group. And um, 
at the police department, my percentages are extremely high. I have like 21% female, um, uh, 40-something percent Hispanic. And that, that just doesn't happen. And I think it's what attracts them to the job um, uh, for, you know, family connection and that community involvement, that ability to work through problems and problem solve and have a different pace, um, you know, not call to call, but actually able to help people solve problems. I think that attracts a lot of them to our organizations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so the diversity that I have in my organization, I wish I could take all the credit for, um, <laughs> but it has been, I know it has been naturally occurring, but I continue to make sure that I am continually to open doors for, um, for, for, for people so, so that they can come. But I even have, you know, um, uh, Asian, Middle Eastern. I mean, it's just demographics that everybody struggles with. I have those demographics at the, the campuses. In Dallas, in Dallas, you know, the Dallas Fort Metroplex is very diverse. Um, okay. So, you know, I have a great pool of people to pick from, but I'm, I'm glad that they are attracted to campus law enforcement because it helps me uh, with that diversity. Um, yeah. Now, as far as, you know, covering other, um, even though I got like 20 percent women, I don't have any other than myself. I have no women past the rank of lieutenant. So that's something that I'm con- I'm conscious about. Uh, that I don't have any uh, uh, women in command staff other than myself represented. Well, how many How many other so, positions are there above lieutenant? Uh, we have uh, the captain's rank and I have a uh, commander's rank. So, okay. um, so a combination and an assistant chief. So a combination of probably 10 positions above lieutenant that, uh, that are occupied by uh, all males right now. Uh, mm-hmm. The captain position and, um, you know, the commander position and the assistant chief position. So I really, um, really I'm, I'm aware of that. I really like to work on getting the women there involved in higher levels of leadership or bringing people in from the outside um, um, to campus law enforcement that are interested in command level leadership. So, you know, and being in Miami Beach, I have to throw a shout out to them uh, that that place is so diverse. Um, yeah, I can tell you, and I know I'm on a podcast, and, and I'll and I'll send it to them too. So when I got down there, I would run into people that physically look like me, but I promise you, it was probably, um, it was probably, I don't know, months before I realized most of the black people that I ran into, they were either Haitian, they were from the Bahamas, they were from. <laughs> Ghana. Yeah. And so I was like, this is amazing. You yes. Know? I'm telling you, the diversity down there is it is it is it is tremendous in the food, the culture. If you allow yourself, if you prevail yourself to it, you know, people yeah. that live down there, they tell me they hadn't been at the beach. I was like, how don't you go to the beach and you yeah. live in Miami <laughs> Beach, but you have people don't even go to the beach. And I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going. The same thing out here in LA. Same thing out here in LA. Uh, yeah. Same okay. thing happens. Yeah. 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 So, um, so, so we work real hard and law enforcement has to continue to work real hard to be reflective of the community they serve and of the times. Um, we didn't have, um, I never had a trend in Arlington PD. We didn't have a transgender policy. 
But of course, when I got to Miami Beach, they were way more progressive. And mm-hmm. we had transgender policy. We had um, rules to deal with um, 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 victims or suspects when it came to where do we put them in lockup. You know, so we worked through all of those there, which helped me uh, when I came back to say, OK, these are some things that we need to to really think about um, yeah. when we're formulating policies and who those policies um, uh, address. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you take some of those ideals and some of those things back to Texas with you? And it sounds like you did kind of yes, work yes. through those issues. Yeah. Yeah, it's important to not re. You don't have to um, start things new and and uh, reinvent. You know, find out what's there and what's working, and then you craft your policies and you make decisions based on um, a variety of sources and, and what you've learned. So there's no reason to charter, you know, your own territory on certain things when other people are doing it well. Right. Right. So you know, another thing that happened in 2020. Obviously, was uh, you know George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, all those those incidents that culminated in the uh, in the protest. Uh, how did that affect your community uh, at at the uh, college level, and uh, and you personally? You know, um, we always look at how far we have come, and when things like that happen, you see how far we have to go, and. Yes. Um, that was um, the George Floyd, Aubrey, I mean, Breonna Taylor. I mean, you, it, you can name them over and over again. It seems like it continues to happen. And to us in our community, we know it's happening. I just think the world saw what so many Black people have been saying for years. And it was in their face. It was real. And everybody in the world could see it. And I think at that moment in time of George Floyd and all those protests, diverse protests all over the world, for that moment in time, everybody felt what we feel, Yeah, I think. But people's memories are short, you know? Mm-hmm. Unfortunate, people's memories are short. But I really believe at that moment in time, the majority of people in the world felt what our community the majority of our community has been saying all along that there is systematic racism in this country. Yes. You yes. may not be the racist, but the systems and the foundation of some of these systems have it built in that has that desperate, disparate impact on certain groups like people of color. And yeah. I think every at that moment, more people felt it. Um and it it absolutely changed. Yeah, um, yeah. The way I look at things. Um, I remember it when uh, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, you know when uh, that's what definitely what Colin Kaepernick was was trying to shine light on way back when when he took the what? knee. He wasn't he wasn't protesting against the the uh, the military or the flag or any of that type of stuff. He was trying no. to shine light on the on the system, and you know. You know what happened to him after they got blackballed, got, uh, you know, the, yeah, the narrative got taken away from him. And still, yeah, yeah. I mean, that ship has sailed now. He, you know, he's been away so long. But, but uh, you know, just that whole thing. And, you know, I support it. You know, I knew, you know, as a black man what he was about. And, you know, I could, I could 
hear and see and feel, you know, my colleagues at work. Yeah, but but my, my, my colleagues at work, you know, when I say, you know, I support Kaepernick and what he was talking about, you can, you know, you can feel that, you know, that side eye, you know, and just, you know, just what they're talking about. It's different. It's different. And that's all he was trying to, you know, shine some light on. And, and that's what I'm trying to do in this program as well. Shine some light, you know, get some, uh, you know, 99%. 99.9% of us out here are just trying to do good work. But, you know, the, the, the system is in place and there's mistrust for, for obvious reasons that have happened over the years in law enforcement, in the, in the black community and other minority communities. And and we just can't stick our heads in the sand, in the sand about it. I mean, it's out there. We got to face it and, and, and try to do better, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and, and, you know, it's when we had that moment and I think we're still in that moment. I just think that we are. You know, some people have moved on, but in our life, Dale, we don't get to move on. We're no. still black tomorrow morning. Right. <laughs> yep. 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 So, Stop. And we're, you know, me, I got two little boys. I, I, there's certain things I have to say and teach them about these systems so they can navigate through life and be safe, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so it don't change for us the next day. Um, you know, we still have to be, um, you, you know, uh, of, make sure that we're on top of things and that we are um, shedding light on these things. And, you know, you I'm I'm past that point in my career. I don't have no filter no more. <laughs> <because I say Yep. laughs> what I feel. Yeah. You know, been there, done that. It, right. Yeah. yeah right. I, right. I so I, I, I don't have that filter no more. So if you don't want an honest, authentic answer, you probably shouldn't ask me the question. Mm -hmm. because I'm going to give you um, the authentic answer from here in my heart and what I feel and what I've experienced. And, you know, I, I felt the same thing, you know, when the Black Lives Matter protest started, I was the first one to say, absolutely, Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. And until those Black Lives Matter to everybody else, then I don't want to hear about Blue Lives Matter or uh, this All Black lives. Matter, that life. Yeah. I said, we're shining a light on this because there is a problem. And what do you do when someone gives you a problem? You want to deflect and do right. something else. It's like, no. If you want to have serious conversations, first of all, we need to be past conversations. We need to be action. We need to be doing stuff. And Colin Kaepernick, you know, that was a perfect example. It had nothing to do with patriotism. I am nothing. not less patriotic because I believe in the, the movement of, you know, at the time of civil rights, the movement of women rights, the movement of Black Lives Matter. I'm not less patriotic than you. That I'm not part. less of a cop than you because mm -hmm. I believe in this because I live it every you day. You live it My every community day. lives it. I don't get to take it off. I can take that blue uniform off. Yep. Guess what I can't take off? <laughs> I can't take yeah. my blackness off. I, mean, I yeah. No, I <laughs> none of us want to. Right. I don't want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can, you, so I'm identified by those characteristics that God gave me. And made me just as equal as everybody else. And so God made me this way. The system has made me unequal, but I know in the eyes of God that I am equal. And we're not going to stop fighting <laughs> until we are seen in the same equal lights that God created us to be. Mm. Not Amen. less than. We are created by our creator the exact same. It is man and these systems 
that have made this inequality. And we are not going to stop fighting until we achieve that level of equality. And we don't want no handouts. Nope. I don't want your sympathy. I want your empathy. Uh-huh. I want you to yeah, understand yeah. empathy. I don't want your handouts. I want a level playing field when me, my people in my community, communities of color, women, those demographics that are are despairly impacted by systems that are in place. We just want to be on the field and a fair chance to be able to live our life to the fullest and provide for our family to the fullest, get health care to the fullest, just like any other person on this earth and on this planet, in this country, in this state, in this city. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in terms and in regards of, of law enforcement, what challenges do you see that we face moving forward with with all these issues? Um, we, you know, recruitment's a big one. Uh, we, we we can't recruit mm-hmm. African Americans in, into the profession because of what's going on. I, I say we need to recruit more because of what's going on. What what sort of challenges do you see moving forward for law enforcement? We we Dale, we're at a pivotal time in uh, policing. Um, so we are the gonna. Uh, uh, put up or or, or, or shut up. <laughs> I mean, right. we really have to change how we look at service. And we've talked about, you know, you know, community policing, uh, problem-oriented policing, problem-solving policing. We have to rebuild legitimacy in our communities. And it didn't get torn down overnight. Um, so it will take years to rebuild. And we're going to have to open the door to another whole group of officers, you know, generation, you know, the millennials and the generation Z's that are going to transform because they see the world differently than we do. And they're going to be the next generation of leaders, uh, you know, as we move into our careers. We're at a pivotal point. We have to recruit guardians. We do not need to recruit warriors. And guardians will give us the credibility, will give us, gain us the credibility back in our communities. Um, It will give us that legitimacy back in our communities. We can teach somebody to tactically be proficient and ready to address any situation that comes. What you can't teach somebody is honesty. You can't teach somebody empathy. You can't teach somebody character. So if they have a character flaw, you can't teach them not to have that character flaw. There's some professions you cannot go in if you don't have those characteristics. So we need to recruit and be mindful of guardians and because that's what we do the majority of our time. We are not yes. out there being warriors 98% of the time. Yeah. 95% of the time, we are doing guardian-type functions. So that's who we need to recruit. That's what our recruiting needs to have. You need to People need to look at their recruiting questions. They need to look at their mission statements. And I'll tell you, I go through um, agencies' videos, recruitment videos, and I can tell you which departments have not passed that threshold of guardians versus warriors. If I see a video and all I see is SWAT people, I was in SWAT. I was a negotiator. I ran our okay. SWAT team. All right, know? all right. So, I, yes, I done jumped out of helicopters in SWAT school. Repelled. Nice. Them. 
Yeah. Yeah. But that was when I was young and crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you're not so young, but you're still crazy. <laughs> I'm a, a different kind of crazy. Different kind <laughs> of crazy. Jump out of stuff that's perfectly. Yeah. If it's perfectly good, why would you jump out of it? Yeah, no so, doubt. Um, but when you see those type of things and you believe, guess what you're attracting? If your videos, your recruiting videos are SWAT, K-9 Biden people, the um, the special enforcement team out serving warrants and all of those things breaking in doors. Yeah. That's who are you recruiting? Yeah. Who do you want to recruit? So if your videos and your agency does not reflect all these things you're saying about legitimacy and building public trust, but when they look at your website or they see your recruiting videos or they interact with your offices and it's the opposite, we need to change. You know, it's not the community. We are the, we have to change. We have to reinvent ourselves, reimagine ourselves. Reimagine. The first thing I believe is we need more guardians in this profession then we need warriors. We can teach you tactically what you need to do, but we need you to be a guardian first with character, with integrity, and be honest. If I have those three things, Mm -hmm. hell, I can teach you everything else. I can teach you how to shoot. I can teach you how to enter. I can teach you how to take a report. I cannot teach those other three basic skills. You have to have them coming in. That part. That part. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. That's real talk. That is. 100. 100. All right, Chief. I really appreciate this talk that we had, this discussion we had. This is good stuff. I, I didn't know you had uh, uh, been a part of SWAT and jumped out of helicopters and <laughs> all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I appreciate you. Uh, but before I let you go, I know I told you before that I got a game that I like to play with my, my guest here. So let me get this set up for you. My game here is called... Uh, Last night I saw a superhero. He was black. He said, this is for the street. Black Lightning's back. This is called my Black Lightning Round. Black Lightning Round. I'm just going to quick fire some questions at you and you hopefully quick fire some answers back at me. Some of your SWAT training from back in the day. Okay. Think quickly on your feet. All right. So here's your first one. Uh, So you obviously spent some time down in Miami. What what do you miss most about that town? Oh, the beaches. The beaches. And the food. And the food. Beach yeah, the you food. did mention yeah. that. You did mention that. All right. But you got barbecue in, in Texas, so. Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> the best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is everyone in Dallas a, a Cowboys fan? If they're not, they should leave. <laughs> <laughs> we are America's team. So no, oh, no, okay. All right. Next question. Next question. <laughs> Uh, what's the most prominent uh, role model you've had in, in your personal and professional life? Uh, my mom. Your mom. All right. How so? How so? She is my foundation. My mom and dad are my foundation. They are who I am and who I've become. And because I had such a solid foundation, um, I, I, I owe it all to them. I owe everything that I've done to a solid foundation. Excellent, excellent. So how long has it been since you made a, a traffic stop? Oh, I see you're wrong. <laughs> uh, whoo, uh, probably seven or eight years. Seven or eight years, okay. On my own. Now, I've been On a passenger of a traffic stop like two or three years ago when I was assistant officer. But me uh-huh. stopping the car myself, <laughs> it's probably been seven, eight years. But me yeah, as yeah, a yeah. passenger... 
about three years ago. About three, okay. How long has it been since you last arrested somebody? Well, oh my gosh. Uh, it's probably been over 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Admin doesn't usually do much of that anymore. So. Yeah, not that often. <laughs> no, that not that often. want to go out back out, you know, <laughs> make an arrest. Yeah. Real quick before we move on to the next one, how important do you feel that is to get out with the troops and, and, and interact and see what they're doing on, on a, you know, at least on a monthly basis? Oh, I think it's very important. I know it's hard depending on the size of your organization, but I think it's really important. And um, even if you don't like some of these COVID times, I've been doing video calls with them and video conferencing with them uh, as much as I can. And then I make it a point at least once a quarter to go out. That's when I did my last traffic stop. I go out and yeah. ride with an officer for a shift at yeah. each one of my campuses, go. which is seven of them. So All it right. just takes me a little while to get around, but I think it's very important to, to for them to see us uh, because you know you got to feel connected with your with your troops. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah, my department. My department is uh, even smaller than yours as far as sworn personnel. So what we used to do, they're not doing it so much anymore. Maybe we'll bring that back up. But when our association had a meeting once a month, admin would actually uh, fill in for us. So they'd go oh, hit the streets. Yeah. It was only for an hour that we had our association meeting. Um, yeah. But they would go out and answer calls even you know for audibles and you know some would even make tea stops and you know so you know every now and some yeah, something to I keep in mind important. there for you yeah yeah to keep up on those skills what's a better movie uh what's a better movie uh hidden figures or the help oh hidden figures hidden figures yeah 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 that's about uh you, you see that nasa just uh renamed uh, one of their their headquarters after one of them yeah yes so, so that, yes that's, it's, yeah um, awesome that's that that movie is phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. What assignment uh, in your career that you didn't get to do that you wish you had? A CID detective. CID I is what? I never got a chance. What uh, is that? Criminal investigation division. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so I never got a chance to be a detective. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just kind of moved across yeah. that, over that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so um, I, I missed my opportunity. I got to supervise detective units, but I never got a chance to be one myself. Yeah, so you didn't do like uh, you know, whenever you watch Law and Order or some of those cop shows when the, when the detectives are out and then they they brief the lieutenant and then she you know she says like on Law and Order you know you guys go do that I'll write the warrants like what lieutenant gonna be writing the warrant ain't no yeah. <laughs> ain't no lieutenant writing yeah. the warrant no, no. Okay. I'd rather go you out know, than be the one yeah the well yeah well even still you don't even know the PC how you gonna write the warrant anyway yeah, absolutely. <laughs> neither here nor there yeah um, TV cop shows versus real cops yeah, yeah exactly uh, Mary J Blige or Janet Jackson oh Mary J Blige. Mary J. Okay. All right. I love me some some Janet though. I Jan love me some Janet, but Janet ain't got enough. She ain't got enough hood in her for me. <laughs> Mary J. Got it. Mary J. Got like, it. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> I see me a little bit more in her than Janet. <laughs> yep. So you spent time down in Miami, and now you're back in Texas. Which would you rather be in, a hurricane or a tornado? A hurricane, because you know it's coming. Because you know it's coming. You can prepare yeah. for it. Yeah, tornadoes. Yeah. There is no preparation other than a siren, and it can hit here, it can miss you, it can hit you. They just pop up. But a hurricane usually you got days and weeks to prepare for it. Right, right. 
All right. And uh, last question here, if you could snap your fingers and uh, one thing would change about law enforcement or improve about law enforcement, what would it be? Um, you were queen for a day. What would I change? I would I would change the culture. Okay. Because culture How's takes that? years. Yes. Uh, I would have guardians. I would have guardians at the top of the organization. I would have my tactical uh, people where the tactical people needed to be, the technical people needed to be. But I would have, I would change the culture to uh, a shift to guardians versus warriors. Yes. All right. That part. All right, Chief. I appreciate uh, you, you playing along with that. That was, that was good stuff. Good, more good insight about you. Thank you. Thank you once again. Yeah. <laughs> That's good Thank stuff. You. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, you be safe out there in Texas at the uh, Dallas College Police Department. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see you on the other side real soon. Are you, you guys got vaccinated out there? How's the vaccine made its way out to you? It, it's made it a lot of I have been. Um, so uh, it was offered to our first responders in the first round. So um, quite a few of have them. So I have been vaccinated. I'm still, you know, very uh, safe. And following the guidelines because there's a lot of people around me that have not been so yeah, um, yeah. so they're 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 going well and hopefully you know we'll have some sense of normalcy you know this summer. Yes, that's that's what I'm talking about because I, I there's mm-hmm. million and one things that I want to get back to movies, yeah. concerts, yeah. all that sort of stuff. So vacations, cross, cross, especially vacations. You know, yeah. I'm out here with Disneyland and you know can't even go and back I'm to so Disneyland. Ready to get back. We, you know, we went to, we go to Disney. We were going to Disney like every year. Oh, uh, wh- which so, one, World or, or Land? Yes. Disney World. Uh, Disney. We went Disneyland. We went to Disney World when I was in uh, Florida a lot. But we've been to Disneyland and Legoland up there probably three to four times in the last three years. <laughs> wow! All right. So we Welcome will to, be back there as soon yeah. as California. IA. Welcome. Yes. Come yes. on back. All right. I will. All right, Chief. Yep, when I get up there. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. All right. You take care. Wash your hands, mask up, and be safe. All right? All right. Well, I just want to say, hey, this is uh, uh, Chief Loretta Hill uh, from Dallas College Police Department, and I'm hanging with my man, Dale, from Black in Blue. All right. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Chief. Well, That's it for this episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank Dallas College Police Chief Loretta Hill for coming on to the show and schooling all of us on the outstanding work of your department. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as well. If you did, crush that like button on YouTube or rate it five stars on your favorite podcast platform. I'll be back right here in a couple of weeks with another enlightened interview with another inspiring guest. But till then... (laughs) Y'all already know, stay black in blue. I'll holler at you. Peace. This has been a Maitre D Entertainment presentation.